I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 21. And with the Lord's help, we're going to wrap up the series that we've been dealing with all this last week, which we started on Sunday morning last week and then continued through the week with our fall Bible conference about the the need to walk with God. And we started last week on Sunday morning speaking about the, the most important need, which is the need of regeneration, the need to be born again. And we looked at John chapter 3, and we discussed the fact that unless you've been born again, it's quite impossible to have a real relationship with God. It's absolutely essential that you experience the new birth, which of course is offered to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place by the power of the Spirit of God. And then we talked on Sunday night about how that regeneration, that new birth, begins in us a walk with God. It's not God's intention for us just to get saved, check that box, and go on with our life. That's actually a life-transforming encounter where God moves in and He becomes the master of our life. He has a plan and a purpose for us and He's taking us somewhere. And gratefully, we found that God has revealed Himself to us. He's told us who He is. He's expressed to us His expectations for our life. He's told us... Uh, how we can live for Him, and in His Word, He communicates to us both personally and powerfully so that we can live a life that would be pleasing to the Lord. He is the initiator of this relationship, and He continues to initiate in building that relationship. Then we talked for a couple of nights about the response that God desires from us. First of all, the response of repentance When we see our sin and we recognize that we're not all that God wants us to be, it is our responsibility to repent of our sin, to come into a place where we're in agreement with God about that sin and willing for Him to change us. And of course, that's a steady work that He's going to be doing in our life all the way through until He takes us to heaven. Then we talked about the response of obedience, that God really wants us to be obedient to Him. And as He reveals Himself and He shares with us His agenda and what He's doing in and through us, He wants us to cooperate with Him. And we said, that'll be the greatest adventure of your life when you start to realize that God is working in this world and He's calling you to work together with Him and you learn the joy of submitting to Him and walking with Him. Then we talked about the response of prayer. And how as we discover what God is doing in our life, as He speaks to us through His Word, He intends for us to respond with prayer and speaking to Him. He's spoken to us through His Word, and now we can speak back to Him. We can talk with Him and fellowship with Him. Then we spend a little bit of time Thursday night talking about how to structure a personal time with God On a daily basis, how do you meet with God and how do you make sure that you're setting aside time? How can you develop that pattern and that discipline in your life? We talked about the importance of it and we talked about some practical suggestions. Then Friday night, we talked about the place of the assembly, the the importance of being a part of a New Testament church 
where other people are also walking with God. We're walking with God together. We're keeping each other accountable. We're growing together. And together we're doing the work of the Lord here in this world. Now we've come this morning to the final thought that I want to deal with as we think about walking with God. And it's a question which may have come to your mind throughout the week as we were dealing with this important subject. It's a question that I've been asked before, and it's a question that I know bugs some people. And so we want to talk about this morning the call to renewal. And specifically, we want to answer the question, why is it that as a Christian, I'm constantly being reminded of the need of revival? And I'm constantly being called back to a place of renewal. Am I ever going to get to a place where everything is the way that it ought to be and it just stays that way and it never goes back? And some people really struggle with that. Uh, Some people say, you know, why, why talk about revival so much? If people get revived, shouldn't they just be revived? And I heard a preacher say one time, it's like a bath. Just because you had one yesterday doesn't mean that you don't need one today. And revival is a lot like that. Just because you experienced revival last week or last month or last year doesn't mean that you're still in a revived state. And it's very probable that you need to be called to revival again. Now, this is a, this is a theme that we find in the scriptures all through. John 21, in my opinion, is one of the most touching examples of a call to renewal. The setting, let me just give you the setting before we read the text, which this morning is going to be found in verses 15 through 19. But the setting is that Jesus has died. He has died on the cross. Of course, we know that when he was taken and he was accused and then it became clear that he was going to be crucified, the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, had run away for fear of their lives. They were afraid that if the Jewish authorities were going to kill Jesus, that they also might be implicated in this and they would lose their lives. And so they ran. They ran in fear. There's no explaining it away. They simply became terrified of what might happen to them and they abandoned Jesus and they left. One of those disciples who was one of the most notable disciples, respected disciples, was a man named Simon Peter. And Simon Peter was kind of at the front of those who ran away in fear. Now, we know that Jesus, after he died, was buried, and he was in the grave for three days and three nights, and then on Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. The Gospels are very clear about that. Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead, and right away, Jesus began showing himself to the disciples, and he began calling them back to himself. But what you'll find is that those encounters between Jesus and his disciples were awkward at best. And the reason those encounters were awkward is because the disciples realized, Peter at the head of those who realized this, that they had failed Jesus. They realized that though Jesus had prepared them and had, they were expecting things to go a certain way. It didn't go the way they thought, and then they had run away. And now Jesus is coming back, and he's trying to call them back to the place where they had been, and they're just not sure how to respond. 
And so Jesus encountered them several times. There's more than one encounter with Jesus. And we come now to John chapter 21. And this is a very important encounter for Simon Peter. And Simon had told the other disciples, and you may recall that before they became followers of Jesus, many of the disciples were fishermen, professional fishermen. They had their own boats, nets, and and they fished for a living. So uh, what I know about that is that I could never do that because if I had to depend for my living on what I caught with my fishing pole, I would go very, very hungry. Or maybe I would learn to be a good fisherman. I'm not sure which. But they were fishermen. And Peter, he was kind of an impulsive person anyway all through the ministry of Christ. One day, he just says to the other disciples, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples said, we're going with you. And so they all loaded up and they went to the Sea of Galilee, to the place where they were before Jesus found them. And they got out in the boat and they took their nets and they said, we're going to go back and do the thing that we know how to do. Now, it didn't turn out the way that they thought it was going to turn out because they got out there and they fished all night and they didn't catch a thing. And then in the morning, early in the morning, they were coming close to the shore and they saw a little fire and a person there by the fire cooking some things, and they were looking, trying to figure out what was going on, and John, he describes himself in the text as the disciple that Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord, it's the Lord, and Peter, he said, it's the Lord, and he just, you know, he's impulsive. He threw himself in the water and he went swimming for the shore because he was going to get to the Lord. And he got over there to the fire, pulled himself out of the water and came up. And Jesus is there by the fire preparing some bread and some fish. And and the Lord greeted him. And then the other disciples came and the Lord greeted them. He said, have you eaten? Have you any meat? No, no meat. So Jesus has this meal for them. And they sit down and they eat. And it's still a little awkward. It's still a little bit tense because, you know, it's like we we call it the elephant in the room. Peter knows, I denied Christ. I failed him. And I'm trying to decide whether to bring it up or not, whether to talk about it. And so Jesus, in verse 15, which is our text, addressed the issue. And it's an issue that needs to be addressed in every one of our lives. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Now, just for a moment. I want you to put yourself in Peter's sandals. I want you to imagine yourself sitting next to the fire with the resurrected Christ who has died for you, looking you in the eyes and asking you this question. Do you love me? I mean, do you love me? Do you really love me? Love me. It's a piercing question, isn't it? It's easy to say, of course I love the Lord. I'm a follower of Jesus. Peter could have said, I'm a disciple. In fact, he answered kind of that way, didn't he? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. Don't you know that I love you? But see, Jesus was driving at something. He was addressing a need in Peter's heart, and that need was... A call to renewal. Peter, whether he realized it or not, though he was a follower of Jesus and he was a truly converted person and one of the most passionate disciples of Jesus Christ, had strayed in his walk with God. And he was desperately in need of revival. And the question that needed to be answered in order to come to the place of revival was the question of love. And it's the same question that we need to answer this morning. Maybe throughout this week you've been listening to these messages and you've been evaluating your own life. And maybe you've even been asking yourself, you know, I hear what pastor's saying and I want that kind of a walk with God. That's what I desire, but it feels like something isn't right. It it, it seems like I'm just not having that kind of a walk with God. What is going on? Well, I'm going to tell you this morning that when there's something wrong, it always is going to circle back to the answer to this question. Lovest thou me? Do you love the Lord? It's a simple question. It's a question that we easily answer out of hand with little thought almost dismissively, perhaps a little bit offended that anyone would ask whether or not we love the Lord. But it is a question that we must repeatedly ask ourselves. What is the motivation of my heart? Do I love the Lord? Do I value Him as the master of my life? Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment about this call to renewal, and then we'll try to make some application, and then we'll be done this morning. The first thing I want you to consider is this. It's really unreasonable for us to assume that our walk with God will always be strong. Let me say that again. It's unreasonable for us to expect that our walk with God will always be strong. I think sometimes when we hear messages about conversion, the Spirit of God moving in, the change that takes place in a person's life, 
we can tend to get the idea that, well, naturally, if you're truly saved, it's a cakewalk after that. I mean, God is changing your life and everything's going to be easy. It's going to be simple. You're just going to kind of dance through life and everything's going to be a piece of cake. You're going to love the Lord. There'll never be any question. You'll probably never have to be revived again. Your heart will be passionate towards Him. And the only problem with that is that's not what the Scripture says. The reality of the Christian life is a bit more of a struggle than that. And when we present the Christian life in a way that if you truly get saved, you'll just have no more struggle with sin, no more trouble with the flesh, everything's going to be easy, that can really confuse people. They can, because the reality is, and I think the reality, if you're a Christian, that if you're honest, you would say the reality that you deal with is that there is a struggle that takes place in your life and that there are times when your heart is not as warm as it used to be towards the Lord. This is not unexpected, actually, because love tends to cool when it is not tended. This is true in human relationships, isn't it? You have a a couple that gets married, and they are so much in love, and they just, they can't get enough of being around each other. I remember when Allison and I got married, and we went on our honeymoon, and we were at a uh, restaurant. We were sitting and waiting for our meal. On the, It was the day after our wedding, and we were sitting there at the table, and the waitress walked up to us to take our order, and she looked at us, and she said, you guys are newlyweds, aren't you? And we're like, how did you know? Well, it was kind of obvious. It was kind of obvious that we were really focused on each other, that we were intent on each other. And that's a wonderful thing, that sense of love, that, that concern for each other, the attraction that you have towards each other. But that doesn't continue on without some tending. You see, there has to be some maintenance in the relationship for that kind of love to continue on. I think you all understand what I'm saying. You, you can't continue being happily married for many years unless there's some investment that is put into the relationship, unless there is a pursuit after that love in the days that follow. Love tends to cool when it is not tended. Your love for God will cool if it is not tended. You can't live on the experience of your conversion. You can't say, well, I got saved. Isn't that good enough? No, there's more to it than that. God wants to draw you into a loving relationship with Him. And what we find in our life is that because love, though it is not an emotion, love is attached to our emotions, there are times when we feel love more intensely than others. There are times when our emotions are more touched and we tend to evaluate our love based on the intensity of emotion. And so what we find is that love in our relationship with God as well as in our relationship with others kind of tends to have some ups and downs. There's days when we feel love more and there's days when we feel love less. There's days when the relationship maybe cools off and in a human relationship we Uh, ought to be alert to that and realize, oh, okay, 
things are starting to cool off a little bit. I think I need to go about to strengthen the relationship. It's very important. Same with our relationship with God. When you start to sense some estrangement and you start to sense that you're not walking with God as closely as you used to, okay, it's time to to realize my love for the Lord might be cooling a little bit. I, I think about this also. Our priorities get out of place without really careful planning and thought. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? It's easy to fall into patterns of poor priorities. If you just, for instance, if you just get up in the morning and do whatever you feel like doing for the day with no structure and no priorities, just kind of live by your gut and do whatever feels right in the moment. Well, first of all, you probably won't get out of bed, especially on a morning like this. You probably would just stay in bed. Or when you finally get out of bed, you're probably not going to make all of the best choices. And there's a good chance that you get to the end of your day and say, wow, I didn't really accomplish much and that wasn't a very satisfying day, but at least I did the things that I really felt like doing all day long. It's amazing how our priorities can get sidetracked. And in our Christian life, the same thing happens. Our priorities can get sidetracked and we can get off track from serving the Lord. And also, a third thought here about this unreasonableness of assuming that your walk with God is always going to be strong pertains to this. Your attention tends to get distracted without focus. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been talking to someone and and they are saying, "Uh uh-huh, 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 sure, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, but it becomes evident that they are paying attention to something else that they're not really tuned into you. Now, I, all right, nobody look down the aisle and accuse anyone in your family of anything like this. It surely would not happen in any of our homes. But attention is like this. We, we get distracted very easily. Um, most of us, I think, have spiritual ADD. We get to the place where, you know, all of a sudden, whoa, oh, 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 and we're supposed to be pursuing after the Lord and walking with Him, and we'd get, oh, let's go over here, let's try this, oh, check that out. And if we're not careful, we realize, oh, my relationship with the Lord is just not where it ought to be. Maybe this last week has served for some of you as a little bit of a spiritual checkup to say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really where I want to be or where the Lord, wa- the Lord wants me to be. I, I, I sense that my walk with God is not all that it ought to be. And I want to encourage you in this, that that is a normal experience for a believer. Now, you shouldn't stay there, but that's a normal experience to come to the realization, oh, there's something not right in my relationship with God. This is where Peter is at in our text. I mean, he knows that things are not right. He knows that it's awkward He's not addressed his failure. He's not, he's not really come to the place where, where he's been restored. And he realizes this has to take place, but he just doesn't know how to, how to broach that question. But the Lord does. So it's unreasonable to assume that your walk with God will always be strong. It is reasonable to think that you will have seasons of struggle. There will be times when your relationship with God will be more fervent, more passionate. 
you'll sense a closeness with God. There will be other times that your, your walk with God will not, it'll be disappointing to you. You'll, you'll realize that you're not really seeking after the Lord. Your heart will be awakened to that. And, and that disappointment, hopefully, will bring you to a place of repentance and then the response of obedience to the Lord as you begin to discover what He wants in your life. Amen. The second, second thought here about this call to renewal is in regards to this. It is comforting to know that God is in the business of calling His people back to a place of fellowship. Amen. There, you see, in this passage, Peter had really, he had failed Christ. And anyone looking on would have thought Jesus would be justified in just letting Peter go back to fishing. Go ahead, Peter. Go back to fishing. Go do what you want to do. If that's what you really want, and if that's how you want to treat me, Jesus could say, then forget it. I'll find some other disciples. I don't need you to do my work anyway. Would you agree with me that Jesus would be justified in doing that? I mean, they walked away from him at the time of his greatest physical need. But that is not how Jesus responded. You see, what we find in this passage is that Jesus actually went looking for Peter. Jesus made preparation to minister to Peter's needs. And then Jesus opened up the subject which was on Peter's heart that he didn't know how to bring before the Lord... And Jesus said, let's talk about this. Let's talk about your love for me. Let's talk about your plans for the future. Let's talk about what you're going to do. Because in Peter's shoes, he could be forgiven as well for thinking, Jesus is done with me. I'm finished. I'm washed up. I failed. He told me I was going to fail, and I failed. I failed him. I denied him. I don't deserve to be his disciple. I'm finished. I'm done. I'm just going to go back to fishing. You could see him thinking that way. But Jesus had other plans. And this is one of the most comforting things about our God. Is his relentless pursuit after the heart of his people. If you are truly saved, the God of heaven has no intention of letting you live your life after your plans and your ways, ignoring him and doing your own thing. And this is actually where chastisement comes in. And and you might say, oh, chastisement. I don't like to think about that. Chastisement, the correction of God, the, the, the discipline that God enacts in his children's life is not something that is, that is just for pain. It is because he loves us. And because he loves us too much to let us go off track and start pursuing our own plans and living our own way. He will relentlessly pursue you to bring you back to the place of fellowship. If you are truly saved, He loves you with a love that will not let you go. Praise God for that. Because I'm telling you, brethren, if it wasn't for that, there wouldn't be a one of us that was following Christ today. There wouldn't be a one of us that was faithful to the Lord or even having a semblance of a walk with God. It is all because of his abundant mercy and because he seeks after us and he will not let us go and he brings us back to himself. You see, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. 
He is always the initiator in the love relationship. And he is consistent and constant in demonstrating his love towards us and in calling us back to the place of fellowship. If this week you have recognized that there are some things that are askew in your relationship with God, that's actually really good news because it means that the God of heaven is pursuing after your heart. He is calling you back to a place of fellowship. He wants you to walk with him. And this is a tremendous treasure to us. Now, it's unreasonable to assume that your walk with God will always be strong. It's, it's perfectly reasonable to think there's going to be ups and downs. Praise God that in those seasons when we're down, God is busy calling us back to fellowship with him. But then here's a third thought that I hope you can grab a hold of this morning. You and I have, if you're saved, we have the ability to choose to pursue after fellowship with God. It's, it's on us. Now, he's reaching out to us with his love. He's calling us back to a place of fellowship, but he's also told us, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. So if this morning you sense in your soul and you recognize within your spirit that you've strayed away from the Lord and that you're not in fellowship with him like you used to be, there's something that is wrong, then here's the scriptural admonition. Don't sit around in your chair saying, now I'm waiting on the Lord to get a hold of my heart. I mean, if you sense there's something wrong, that's him showing you that he's trying to get a hold of your heart. Here's what you do. You draw nigh to him. You, you come back to that place of fellowship. If you've been saved for any length of time, you know what God is expecting of you. You know what it means to walk with God. Don't wait around. Get back to the place of fellowship. You say, where do I go? Go wherever it was that you lost his presence. Where was it? Most likely it was a place where he said, I want you to obey. And you said, no, thank you. I'll do what I want to do. He's not gone anywhere, you see. In fact, he's still pursuing you, but he's also not going to overlook the fact that there's something to deal with. There's something to take care of. In this passage, and the, the scripture is not explicit in explaining to us exactly what is going on, what Peter is thinking, what the Lord is trying to do, but there is a decided emphasis in the text that we read that Jesus asked this question three times and the third time that Peter heard this question, he was grieved that Jesus asked him the third time. The the text makes a point of saying that. I hope you noticed it as we were reading through. Now you could ask, why was he grieved about the third time? Is it because... He was irritated that Jesus would ask him so many times what he felt was an obvious question or something that he felt he had demonstrated. Was there some kind of special significance of the number three? Well, I think that it has a lot more to do with what was going on in Peter's heart at this point, which was, as you may recall, 
he had denied the Lord three times. And Jesus had told him that he was going to deny him three times. And Peter had said, I'll never do it. I'm going to follow you. It's never going to happen to me. But Jesus had warned him. And then when Peter realized what he had done, which was exactly what Jesus had warned him about, he ran away in shame. And up to this point, this issue has not really been addressed. So my personal opinion is that what Jesus is doing is he's gently addressing the issue of Peter's heart, which is, Peter, you failed. You denied me. You denied me just like I told you that you would deny me. And Peter, in his mind, goes back to that point of failure. And now the Lord is asking him, Peter, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond in this situation? So Peter has a choice. His choice is he can pursue after the Lord in relationship with him by responding to what Jesus is trying to talk to him about, or he can put distance between him and Jesus and walk away. It's the same choice that you and I have as God begins dealing in your heart and you recognize, you know, things aren't right. I, I, I recognize that I'm not walking with the Lord like I ought. There's some things that are wrong. You know, my prayer life isn't what it used to be. My time in the Word seems to be kind of dull. I'm not sure what's happening. I, I haven't sensed that God is working in my life on a daily basis. I haven't seen His hand at work. And if you find yourself in that place, it would be a good time to say... I'm not going to wait around. I'm going to really get after this, and I'm going to pursue after the Lord. You say, what does that look like? Well, it might look like, first of all, just saying to the Lord, here I am, Lord. I'm not sure what's going on, but I know that things aren't the way that they used to be, and they're not the way that I want them to be. And I want to know how to get it right. I want to know how to draw close to you. I want to pursue after you. We read Psalm 85, and then we used that this morning in our prayer. And the question that is asked by the psalmist in Psalm 85 is a question that every one of us can address to the God of heaven. Wilt thou not revive us again? Sometimes we need to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord... I want to feel alive again. I want to have the joy of my salvation restored. I want to walk with you. Would you revive me again? And as a church, maybe it's time that we say, Lord, would you revive us? Would you you draw nigh to us? Would you draw us nigh to you? Would you give us the, 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 the sense that we're in your presence? Brethren, I don't have much interest in being a part of something that is not connected to the God of heaven. Life is too short to go through the motions of religion without God being present. I don't know about you, but what I long for is for the presence of God to be manifested in this place and among this people so that in our lives we would say, God is real. He's alive. I know He's alive. And I have a relationship with Him. That's what I want and that's what I hope you want. We can ask that question, wilt thou not revive us again? But you know what we can do as well? Besides talking to God about this so that we could pursue after Him, 
is that you and I can start to make choices that stoke the fire of our love for God. You see, the truth is, there's a lot of little foxes that have spoiled the vines in our Christian walk, undoubtedly. There's a lot of little pests that get into our life, and we've permitted them there. We've allowed things to steal away our love for the Lord. And if we start to look, we begin to see, you know, it's no wonder that the Lord feels so far away. can't remember the last time I opened His Word and asked Him for what He has for me today and dug into the Scriptures and sought after Him. I can't remember the last time I sincerely cried out to the Lord with prayer with supplication. I I can't remember the last time I said, Lord, here I am. What do you want to do with me? Small wonder that you're not hearing from the Lord, you see. If you're not giving Him access to your life. So you say, what are the kind of things that stoke the fire of my love for the Lord? Well, it's a lot like a human relationship. A marriage. You know, when a couple starts to realize that their, their love life is faltering, there's a couple responses that they could have. Sadly, a lot of couples will just kind of fold their arms and say, well, it's too hard. I mean, we fell out of love. We used to be in love and it was nice then, but we fell out of love, so forget it. You know, we, we just, we're not meant for each other anymore. I guess, I guess there's just no chemistry. 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 Chemistry has nothing to do with it. Choices have everything to do with it. You see, when, when you were in love with each other, you chose to spend time together. You chose to look into each other's eyes. You chose to be tender with each other. You chose to be kind. You chose to express your love over and over and over and over again because it was important to you. What happened? Well, it's what happens with neglect in all relationships. You stop doing those things. You know, the same thing happens in our relationship with God. We say, I remember what it was like before, but you know, it's not like that anymore. I guess I just don't have any more chemistry with God. That's silly. That's fatalistic. Do the things that you did then, get in the Word. Get on your face before God. Get busy in His work. Ask Him to be real in your life. Start doing the things that you know you're supposed to do. This is what God told the church at Ephesus. He said, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Repent, therefore. And then He said, do the first works. Go back to the place where you knew you had fellowship with God and do the same things. Pursue after Him. Don't be content to sit over in a corner with your arms crossed saying, well, if God wants me, He can come get me. I mean, He is going to pursue after you. But don't you understand that you need to respond? That you you need to be open to what He's trying to do in your life? What are the choices that stoke the fires of our love for God? Well, they would be choices of worship and obedience. So as you find out who He is, you worship Him. And as you re- uh, understand His, 
his plan, what he wants you to do, how you should be obedient to him, you say, yes, sir, I'm going to get busy. Now, it's interesting here in this passage, what is Jesus addresses Peter's love. And then he says to Peter, I've got a job for you. How is Peter going to come back to the place of fellowship and love and commitment to the Lord? He's going to get right with Jesus. And then he's going to surrender to what God has in store for him, which was what God was doing all along during Jesus' ministry, what he was preparing Peter for. And he's saying, I'm not done with you, Peter. I've still got something for you to do. I want you to come back to fellowship with me. I want you to come back to a place of love. I want you to come back to the place of revival, to an awakened heart, because I have something for you to do, which is what I want to conclude with this morning. We cannot afford to not walk with God because the God of heaven has something for us to do. We don't want to just twiddle our thumbs and waste away our time, fritter away the years until we die and our body goes in the ground and, oh, goody, we get to go to heaven. God has something for us to do. Now, there's a need for us to seek after Him, to walk with Him, to be sensitive to His plan for our lives. Most of us have little understanding of how much God is able to do through us when we are surrendered to Him. Many times I think that the the impact that our life could have when we're surrendered to the Lord is not even something that we'll know this side of heaven. God gives us little glimpses to encourage us, and that's a wonderful thing. But personally, I think when we get in the presence of the Lord, part of what's going to bring us to worship the Lord is when we begin to realize how as we were just obeying Him in the ordinary things, things that we thought were so simple, so ordinary, that's just what you're supposed to do. God was at work through us and we didn't have any idea. We didn't know what He was up to. It's wonderful when God gives you a revelation like that. This morning, I uh, I got a... A video with a man sharing his testimony who, according to his testimony, was saved 20 years ago when I preached a message. And he was sharing about what God did in his life. And I had heard that he had gotten saved, but I had never heard his testimony himself. And he was sharing how God worked in his life. And, you know, it took me back to 20 years ago. And what was I? I was just, I, I mean, I was just doing... What I was doing, what I was supposed to do, I was in another country and he happened to be a translator who was translating a message that I was preaching, but he was unconverted and God worked in his life. And that night he trusted Christ and his life has been changed. Now, that is a wonderful thing for me to say, wow, I, I praise God. God was working through that situation. That's what I mean. God gives you these little windows And shows you when you're walking with him, fellowshipping with him, he wants to work in and through you to impact this world. That's what he wanted to do with Peter. And that's why we cannot afford to live in a dull, unrevived, estranged from God or cold towards God's state. We need to constantly... Be drawing nigh to God 
so that he will draw nigh to us so that we can be a part of what he is doing in this world. Does that make sense to you? And, and the challenge is really simple this morning. It's very simple. If you realize that you're not where God wants you in your walk with him, if you realize that you're not where perhaps you used to be at one time, this morning, don't make excuses. Don't just dismiss it. Be real with God. Be real with yourself. And talk to God this morning and say, God, wilt thou not revive us again? Won't you be real in my life? I want to draw nigh to you. I want you to draw nigh to me.